Ayers on the Road, value-based parenting and life balance ideas from world-traveling family coaches. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Hi, this is Linda and Richard Ayer. We're here with Ayers on the Road. We're excited to be with you again today, and I think especially excited and anticipatory today, Linda, because we're going to talk about the only book we've ever written under a pseudonym. (laughs) We wrote a fable a few years ago, and if you look at the author line, it's by... Krunk and Moffat Doolittle. Now you know. We are Krunk and Moffat Doolittle. And the reason we wanted to do this little book under a pseudonym is because it's kind of like a fable. It's called Mother, Father, and the Family that Worked. And we were looking for a way to sort of, in a fun way, with a lot of illustrations and so on, to to talk about some best practices we'd found around the world in working with parents, things that really work in families. I guess you could call them family systems, Linda. Yeah, or, or setting them an infrastructure for your family that is really, it's really useful. It's kind of hard to do at the first, and it never works perfectly, but it is things that we have discovered are really helpful with our family, with our kids. I, I like that you use the word infrastructure, Linda. It's such an interesting word. I mean, I guess if we were playing word association and we said infrastructure, people would say, well, bridges, roads, sewers, um, water pipes, uh, telephone lines, electrical lines, cable TV, all the things that go into an infrastructure of a city or a community. And when you think about that, just like you said, Linda, they all take time to put in. They're hard, they, they take effort and resources and time to build. But once they're there, the city functions much better and much more conveniently and without so many frustrations and hassles. Right. I mean, there's always pipes that break or faucets that leak or whatever. (laughs) But um, it really is, uh, it's been a fun thing for us. I mean, looking back, our children are all now out of the nest and have their own lives. And we have 31 grandchildren. They're really delightful. And um, it is really amazing what I think this really this infrastructure has done for us. Well, and that's, of course, you, you're, you're way ahead of us as listeners. You know where we're going with this. An infrastructure in your family would be analogous to an infrastructure in a community because setting up certain things like your family laws and your family structure and your family schedule and different things like that, are that's your infrastructure. And, and you, you don't just announce it you have to set it up it takes time it takes effort it takes work but once it's established you have an order you have a more i was going to say an orderly family you have a more orderly family (laughs) than you would have otherwise you know this week we have been with a little family um that lives in provo which is very far from us in utah and uh, they have six kids from 13 to 2 and um boy that did they have a wonderful infrastructure, but man, is that total chaos! Oh in the boy, yeah, it's it's <laughs> fun. Let us, I think, the best thing we could do, Linda, is let's just read some excerpts from Mother, Father, and the Family that Worked, and, and we'll get to these infrastructure elements, these family systems, these best practices 
And believe me, they're not just ours. I mean, these are things you got to remember. You're, you're listening to two people who've been traveling the world for 30 years talking to parents, not just in America, but around the world. And boy, we can all learn from each other. I mean, people have good ideas and, and we're quick to pick them up. We often learn more than we teach. Yeah, that's right. Um, and there are some exciting things that we wouldn't work necessarily for our family, but it worked beautifully for them. I think part of this is thinking what works for yeah, your yeah, own yeah. family. And getting ideas. And, and you may not adopt any of the ideas we're going to talk about today, but they may stimulate you to have a, an idea that will work for your family. Because every family is unique, right? Right. Exactly. So let's read you a little, and, and um, we'll pause and comment on some of this as we go. Once there was a family... The mother and father of the family loved the children of the family with all their hearts. They wanted to give them everything, but things were not working. There was too much tension in the air, too little peace. Mother and father were trying hard to have a perfect family, the kind they had read about in books. They were killing themselves, trying to make things work, and they were getting very tired. <laughs> I'd forgotten about, I mean, we did this book many years ago. I'd forgotten about the illustrations. That mother looks just about exactly like I felt many days. Father, you see, was too busy. His job was demanding and unpredictable, and he coached a little league team, and he had a church job and was trying to remodel the basement and help with the cancer drive and start a vegetable garden and just generally keep up with everyone else and be a quote-unquote success. When he had time for the children, he just didn't have much mental energy left to go with it. His role in the family was either referee or constable. He used his short time and meager energy to stop fights and to punish. Mother was busy too, but she had in her mind that she was going to be a perfect mom no matter what. She pushed herself to bake bread, to keep uplifting things on the family bulletin board, to smile all the time, to make Kool-Aid for the neighborhood kids after school, to see that the kids had practiced piano and made their beds and cleaned their rooms and did their homework and saved their money. And if they just wouldn't do it, she did it for them. And she cut their meat into neat little chunks before she put their plate in front of them. <laughs> well, you get the idea. This is really pretty fun. Okay, just one more bit about the children. The children were, quote-unquote, pretty good kids. They usually did what they were told by the fourth or fifth time they were asked, and they stopped fighting when they sensed that father was getting nearly mad enough to hurt them. <laughs> <laughs> they appreciated mother cleaning their room for them and driving them everywhere they wanted to go. And they told her so, too, every year on Mother's Day. <laughs> <laughs> so you see the idea here. We're trying to get inside of a typical family. And this is pretty descriptive of most every family we know. Yeah, it is. And it depends on what ages your kids are. I mean, it changes a little bit when you have a house full of teenagers. But and. We were. This is telling. We wrote this a long time ago. I don't even know if they make Kool Aid anymore. <laughs> now they make cookies, you know, or something. But anyway, let's go on. We'll just kind of pick and choose here. Um, one day, father, who prided himself in being a take charge kind of guy, came home to find the house looking like a bomb had hit. Mother 
for one of the few times in her life, had given up and was sitting in front of the TV watching a soap opera, her eyes somewhat glazed over. (laughs) The baby was lying nearby, needing a totally new wardrobe. Two of the children were upstairs, apparently throwing something heavy. The other two were not around. Father said to himself, we're going to do something about that. Later that night, he said the same thing to mother, and mother said, but what, dear? I'm doing all I can. I just can't do any more. Father said, uncharacteristically, I think we need help. (laughs) (laughs) Now, here's where it becomes a fable. All All right. right. Now, before you read any more of this story, remember that it is a fable. Some parts of it may seem pretty close to real life, but other parts are symbolic. You'll need to bear that in mind in order to keep from thinking that the authors are a little dingy as you read the next part. (laughs) Of course, you may conclude that that, anyway, despite bearing this in mind. All right, here we go. Father said he had heard of an old mine shaft, which led deep into a mountain and must have had another entrance somewhere because there was always an indraft. Loose bits of paper or feathers or floating dandelion seeds were sucked into the shaft and they got so close when they got too close to the entrance. Father said it sounded crazy, but he had heard that if you wrote a problem down on a piece of paper and let the paper get sucked into the shaft, you would get an answer. Mother agreed that it sounded crazy, but said, let's try it. They stayed up all night writing down all the things they could think of that were wrong with their family. It was depressing. It filled up a medium-sized yellow legal pad. (laughs) That sounds like us. (laughs) The next day, feeling very foolish, Father climbed up to the mine shaft and held up the legal pad. The end draft wasn't strong enough to suck it in, so he tore off one sheet at a time hoping no forest ranger would appear and cite him for littering, and he let fly one sheet after another. Into the mine shaft. Well, now things are going to start happening because this is a magic mine shaft. And so um, here's what happened. As the father was waiting for the bus the next day, a paper airplane came floating out of nowhere and poked itself right into his suit jacket pocket. Father, who was a thoughtful and perceptive man, recognized it immediately as the mine shaft's response. He unfolded the airplane and read, I deal only in principles, and I never respond to problems that are more than one sentence long. <laughs> <laughs> so um, they had to start simplifying. So they did. Um They did it three days later while watering the petunias. Mother noticed a wad of paper floating in her watering can. She took it out and unfolded it in the sun. Though it was soggy, it still could be read. Since behavior is governed by law, children should learn obedience to law and should realize that broken laws precipitate punishment, unavoidable, except through repentance. Mother called father at the office. Both were excited. This must be the answer to everything, a set of family laws, a law to cover every problem. So they did it democratically. They sat down and made up a big list of laws, and it sort of worked. Behavior did seem to get better, and obedience was better, especially when mother reminded the children there's a law about that. But the problem was the children kept forgetting the laws because there were 29 of them. 
And it goes on and on and talks about how these parents had to learn how to simplify. And now let's go back to our real life for a minute and and say that it is it is similar to what happened at our house. Um, although we don't have a mine shaft, but well, let me just read one more little part. Right, they went the back laws. to the mine shaft and threw in a paper that said, "So, what is the simplifier we need?" They had begun to sense that the mine shaft didn't just give them answers; they had to think about it. After a little thought, they decided they had to simplify their family laws, and they got them down to four one-word laws: peace, order, obedience, asking. And it goes on and on and talks about setting up family laws. And that was sort of the first answer the mine shaft gave. And let me just mention how similar that is. Um, at our house, before we go on, um, it really it was so helpful for us to set up some family laws. Um, we started when our little three- and four-year-olds actually two and four-year-olds um, were just babies, two little girls. And we had a family meeting, and we said, we need some family laws. What are things that we, sh we should all abide by? And what do you think the punishment should be or the consequence of breaking the laws? And it was so interesting. Um, our three-year-old, of course, the first thing that came to her mind, she raised her hand, never hit other little girls. Well, that was really a good idea, so we wrote that down. And then the two-year-old, who just was quite a talker for a two-year-old, said, never plug in, put in puds, this was what she said, never put in puds. She meant never plug in plugs, because she had we'd found her last night with a fork headed for a, an outlet. So um, that so was this, what is in their minds. So this fable goes on, and they keep asking questions and the mine shaft keeps giving them answers and we're just going to in the second half of the show tick off the questions they asked and how the mine shaft answered them and within it you're going to find maybe seven or eight little family systems that we know really work so hang on we'll be right back Welcome back to Ayers on the Road. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. And we're back talking about a fable today. A little book that we did many years ago, but that has really helped us really put in concrete in our minds what really works in our family. But it is really authored by some mystery people who are called Crunk and Moffat. Um, those are our pet names since we were married, and um, it really has, is a fun book to do. So the second question these two parents asked is, how do we share responsibility in the family? And what they got back was the answer that they should set up some very simple responsibilities and <clears throat> have a little pegboard that would keep track of when kids did those so they could put a peg in once they'd done their job and once they'd done their chore. And then on Saturday, it would be payday instead of allowance day. And there would be a family bank. And how much a child got would be directly proportional to how many of their jobs they remembered to do. So that was sort of the second little best practices thing that happened. And then listen what happened. 
Mother wrote the next note. Now, if you miss the first half, there is a magical mine shaft, and they have thrown down what they they need. So, they whenever they have a problem, they throw it down the mine shaft, and something comes back. Mother wrote the next note. It said in a wonderfully articulate, down to earth mother language, run on sentence. The systems weren't working out for the, the older systems, kids. The systems were working out. Oh, the systems we're working out for the older kids don't work for the younger ones. So, who who are still messy, and we can't seem to get something that works for all of us. Father took it and threw it in the mine shaft. Three days later, Mother noticed that the kite that had been stuck in the tree all summer long had blown down. It was dangling by its string, just hanging there, right outside the front door, and it had writing on it. Aha! It said... The more complex the organization, the greater need for middle management. And it had a P.S. Apparently, the mind shaft did not restrict its answers to one sentence. P.S. Forgive my wording, but one way to avoid a mess is to remove the elements that can be messed. And there is still another note scribbled in pencil at the very bottom of the page. P.P.S. Think of a way to make neatness fun. So what happened here, we're sort of... Two best practices. Number one, the family decided to take the kids who were more than eight years old, eight or older, and make them the middle management of the family. And they invited those older kids in one at a time and sat them down and said, you're being promoted. You're going to be a tutor. You're going to be part of the solution rather than part of the problem. And you're assigned to little four-year-old Jimmy who is now your 2D, and you will help him cut up his meat at the table, and you will be sure he's ready for school in the morning. And they found amazingly that these middle-aged children from about 8 to 12 were flattered by responsibility, and they had middle management with tutors and 2Ds. Yes, that poor mother thought she had to do everything. And then when you figure out that the kids can really be helpful, it is a whole new world. And giving kids responsibility, of course, is really important. So why not give them responsibility for a younger child in the family, at least temporarily? We did that and assigned those every month so that they rotated. And they didn't oh, have the that was a person break. on the That time. was a breakthrough. And then remember the P.S. on that little note that came back to them. Remove the elements that can mess it up. So in this little story... The kids were so messy in their rooms and the, the parents had tried everything. They'd tried bribery. They'd tried throwing all the stuff on their bed. They'd tried everything to get them to clean up, and they wouldn't do it. So what this family did is they didn't allow any clothes or toys in the kids' rooms. All that was in their rooms was their books and their bed. <laughs> and they built in the laundry room some little units into which the kids kept their clothes and their toys. And their tennis rackets and baseball bats and all that. And it was so helpful because no longer were their clothes strewn around in their bedrooms. And so all the mess was at least confined to one room, which they named the nerve center. <laughs> <laughs> and that was very nervous. But, um, but for us, we actually had a lot. We were remodeling the downstairs anyway, and we put a laundry room. Um, we put a unit in for each of the kids, but it was right by the washer and dryer. So it goes washer, dryer, fold, put in the units. And as the kids got older, it was their responsibility to get to do that.
Ooh, and now it gets even more exciting. Let's read again for a minute. In their effort to make neatness fun, Mother came up with one other idea. She found a big old laundry bag and sewed a face on it, big eyes and a nose. And the drawstring opening had teeth sewn around it and became a mouth. She introduced the creature to the kids as Gunny Bag and explained that he lived in the attic. His diet was clothes and toys, but he could eat only things that were left out of place. He descended from the attic unexpectedly any hour of the day or night and ate whatever he could find. Usually, Saturday afternoon, Gunny Bag came back and coughed up whatever he had eaten during the week. If things were put away quickly, they could be saved. If things were eaten a second time, they were gone forever. Mother found that the pegs were really useful in doing this, and she would respond, um, when she saw a mess, she would respond, I think I hear gunny bag coming, and scatter the kids. <laughs> We've had a lot of fun. When, when we read that, don't you think of a lot of funny things? Yes, a lot of funny things. <laughs> We had this gunny bag around our house for so many years, and little kids, I, what would you say, under under about six or seven, yeah. you say, here comes gunny bag, and they have this love-hate relationship with this little character, and they run and squeal and scream and put away all their stuff, and then he comes and he can't find anything to eat, and he cries and cries, and it's a big game, but it really does get the house cleaned and up. And you know what? It's amazing. On Saturday, when we used to dump out that gunny bag on the living room floor, and we say, <laughs> okay, get your stuff, because you know we're going to send off anything that you don't put away. And we realized there's still a pile left at the end because we had a lot of stuff that nobody wanted, they didn't use. So we did a, and we did a run to the DI when we were on the East Coast. Um, we had a wonderful place where we could drop things off. It's such a great simplifier, and it does make it kind of fun. So let's go back to our fable. The trouble was things went gradually downhill. After a little of the newness and excitement of the laws, the pegboard, the nerve center, the tutors and tooties, once it wore off, it started getting hard to motivate the children again. So father went back to the mine shaft. The question he flung down into the shaft said, in his most business-like terminology, how do we maintain the motivation? Three days later, as he came home from, as he came out of the barber shop at the mall, he noticed that all the cars in the parking lot had a flyer on their windshield. All the flyers announced the opening of a new shoe store, except the one on his windshield. It was a note, and it said, "Rewards and penalties, along with frequent public evaluation, are the most time-tested motivation methods in the universe." Gee, thought Father, I wish the shaft would just give me specific answers instead of these principles. He went right home and started to think about it with Mother. That very Sunday, they started something new. At Sunday dinner, Father said he had three awards to give for outstanding behavior. One was the self-starter award, which would go to the child who had done the best job of getting all his pegs in without being asked. One was the leader for the right award, which would go to the child who had ended a fight 
Set a good example, broken the fewest laws, or refused to go along with a friend or a brother or sister who was doing something wrong. And the third award was the Neat as a Pin Award, which would go to the child who had kept his things in his room in the best order. The rewards, he explained, would go on the winner's bedroom doors for the week ahead. Well, <laughs> we had these Sunday awards in our house for so many years, and at Sunday dinner, we would present them, and all they were was... Just a little piece of paper. Paper, but with beautiful letters on. The Leader for the Ride Award is an LFR. The self-starter is two S's that entered... Spill up the whole page. And the Neat as a Pin Award is N-A-P, but designed so sort of nicely on a piece of construction paper. And the competition for those awards was fierce. <laughs> It was really funny. We did not think that would work, but when you've got little kids, it is really... Now, for a 16-year-old, maybe not, but um, those little kids loved having those awards, and they just beamed when they were the ones that got one, and we made sure that everyone got something. And, well, I guess not. There were some weeks when nobody got anything because it was really tough, but anyway, it really... It's really helpful. It was fun. We're going to run out of time, but let's talk about some others, other best practices. Simple goal setting on Sundays where kids just set a simple goal of what they're going to do that week with their music practice, with their homework, with their other things. That can make a big, big difference in kids' lives, and it's one of the answers that, that came rolling out of that mind shaft. And... We've talked about the family bank, and I think the thing we ought to do, Linda, because we'll never have time to get through all of them, is just let's go back to where we started at the beginning of the show today. Infrastructure, family systems. The problem we see in so many households is simply that they don't have any permanent sort of infrastructure systems that, that are ritualistic that happen all the time it's sort of an ad hoc situation they just try to muddle through one problem at a time and try to solve it and so on and we really feel like if you are able to set up some simple things a set of laws a pegboard for responsibilities a 2d and tutor system where the older kids know they're responsible to help the others these these basic things can make your family not smooth, but smoother. And much better. And I think as our kids got older and were teenagers, we, we simplified that into three things that are so important for every family to have infrastructure. The laws, of course, but an economy, working out how you're going to deal with money. And we have done a lot of talking about that on podcasts in the past, and then having family traditions. And those are the glue that holds the family together. That is amazing what happens when you jump in the leaves together. It was Richard's birthday last week, and we, it's been his tradition to jump in the leaves on his birthday. And I'll tell you what, everybody is so excited Kids about that. will not let a tradition go. Well, they, they just cling to it. But that's a good point. That's a good place to end, Linda. I'm glad you got us to there because there are a lot of best practices, but they, they can be simplified down into sort of the three things that any institution has that lasts, right? Whether it's a country right. or a fraternity or a school or a club, they always have 
rules and laws that everyone knows and tries to, to follow. They always have an economy or a way to share responsibility among the members, and they always have rituals and traditions. What we want to invite you to do this week is to do a little inventory of your own family. Do you have some systems that really work? Can they work better? Can you simplify them? Can the kids feel ownership of them? That's the important thing by talking these things out in family councils, having the kids buy into these systems and even vote on them so that they're part of it, they're committed. Um, I have to say that this book is available online on Ayer's free books. If you just go there, you can see the verbiage or the illustrations there. Yeah, the illustrations are pretty funny. I don't remember who did that. We did not do those (laughs) illustrations, and they're delightful. They're just little cartoon characters. You just go to IrishFreeBooks.com and scroll down until you come to Mother, Father, and the Family that Work, and you will see the book. And we... We love you as fellow parents, and we'll see you next time on Ayers on the Road. Bye-bye.